Welcome to The Solution. I'm an alcoholic named Ben. Hey, Ben. For 12 weeks, we have Mike sharing his experience, strength, and hope of the AA 12 Steps. Our speaker for this series, as I said, is Mike. Can we get a warm welcome? Hi, I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Mike Chase. Hey, Mike. And this is my second week doing this, and it's still weird, so give me some time to get used to this. Thank you for jumping in. We got one of our guys is out using tonight, and um, it happens, you know. Um, for me, it was when I first came back the second time, was part of my first nine months, you know. I, I thought I had this. I, I, I had 15 years of recovery that I was trying to rely on previous to that. Um, I'm playing the... Um, I know what I'm doing, uh, and it wasn't working, you know, and I didn't really understand what it was. And so last week we talked a little bit about the first step, you know. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol, and my lives had become unmanageable. Um, it took me two recoveries to actually find out what that actually meant, you know. Tonight we're going to be covering a little bit of that and slowly working into the second step, um, which is we can't believe a part of ourselves could restore us to sanity. That's my intention, where we end up. I don't have the faintest idea where we bounce around. It's going to be just whatever happens. Um, I'm going to touch what it was like for me growing up. I, I, I had a great childhood. You know, I had some little things going on in here, here and there, nothing major. I was raised a good Christian. You know, I, had, I went to nursery school. I went to Sunday school. I, I knew the Psalms. I was. I even did. I did. Com, com, what do you call that thing? Communion. Um, I had a relationship with Jesus Christ growing up, and I didn't. I didn't really know what it was. It was sort of like this comic book version of Christianity with the little coloring books that we did. Um, and I had this good relationship with God, and. Um, I had a very loving family. We were very hanging out with a lot of other Christian families, and it wasn't like some crazy white right wing, and it wasn't some weird left wing. Just sort of this middle of the road Christianity, you know, going to church, praying, um, singing "Jesus Loves Me" a lot. Um, matter of fact, I remember I got kicked out of choir because I was too rambunctious as a little kid, <laughs> which sort of was the, the way that my life was going to go. Um, I just like, I didn't know what it was like to be an alcoholic in 1984. Growing up, I didn't know what it was like to have a relationship with God. I've got all these other people coming at me with what it is to be uh, a good Christian or what it's like to have Jesus in your life or what it is to be a good person. I've got uh, very good role models. You know, my dad was hardworking. My mom was hardworking. We were from a neighborhood of, you know, well-to-do people. So what I saw was just a lot of people being nice and caring and wonderful to each other and I was having a good time enjoying life like that. Um, when my father died, I was eight years old, and uh, I'd already been kicked out of ner- or choir for stuff. I had been going to uh, church regularly on Sundays, and um, my father died. And I rem- the thing that I remember the most about this is that all these people started coming to our house like the day after, bringing us food and being nice to my mom, and all this really nice fellowship. I really felt comfortable about this. You know? And for that moment, I really felt the, the loving, loving hand of God and, and spiritual and Christianity at that time. I, it was just really cool for that. And then the minister shows up a couple days later, and he's trying to explain to these, two, these three boys where their dad is going now that he's died. And he's saying stuff like, well, you know, and it was by the moon. They were just going to the moon this quite recently. And he said something about, you know, well, the astronauts, when they're going up to the moon, it's not like they're going to drive through heaven and be able to wave to your dad and stuff like that. And I'm just going, I sort of knew that. You know, I'm not that, that dumb. Um, but I started like, seriously, dude, this is, 
it started questioning my belief in, in, in my spiritual mentor at this time, to, to think that I would think something like that. Um, by this time, I'd started to get good at the fine art of stealing um, without getting caught too much, um, manipulating people. You know, you, I was always that really good kid that the parents like to have their kids hanging around with, but I was the one also, <laughs> let's go burn down a building type kind of guy at the same. So there's this two, this two personalities, distinct personalities going on there. Um, I'm not like I just one day woke up and said, God, I don't want anything to do with you. You know, it's just like you're, you're full of it, and it's like I don't know. Just slowly by my actions, my attitudes and beliefs, I started, started walking away. Um, we like to say we're putting up walls, putting stuff in between me and God. I just sort of lost that content. It's just like I just didn't wake up one day and say, I'm not Christian anymore. I'm going to be pagan. Um, I wasn't like that. I just sort of became unchristian. I just sort of became unconnected to God. The things that I used to have to think to do, the cheating, the manipulating, the lying, I used to have to sort of think, how do I do this without getting caught? And then it just became normal for me to do that. I just sort of became the schmuck, this 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 dishonest, manipulative guy. And um, as that started to snowball, my relationship with God just completely ended. You know, and, and it's not like I even bothered to. It's like I would leave him at home. It wasn't even a connection to him. So as that's going, I'm also starting to learn how to drink alcohol socially because I started drinking when I was six, started heavily drinking at eight, started drinking to get drunk at 10 and 11, you know, doing things that you do drunk. It's like, oh, my God, I hope nobody finds out. And think, you know, then it's like, well, no wonder I don't have God in my life because look at the person I've become, this shame, guilt, and remorse that's still building up. We were talking about Hazleton a little bit earlier, and one of the few things that I got out of that was really good was that therapeutic stuff they offered me with you know, the shame, guilt, and remorse that I was carrying with myself. You know, um, And we're supposed to be talking about came to believe that a part of greater self could restore us to sanity. They had me doing pamphlets and books and writing stuff out left and right and stuff like that. And I had a white light experience when I was there, and, I, and it's, just, it's just weird. I had this no relationship with God. I was this lying schmuck, and I'm, I'm lying in bed one night, Second night in rehab, and I'm doing this prayer, and, and I had this, relate, this spiritual experience that just shifted my whole concept of life. I was a lying, cheating, stealing, low-life, self-centered, inconsiderate, and all of a sudden, just the next morning, I'm just this amazing, loving, caring, compassion. It was almost pathetic. I was just so nice and so wonderful that nobody really wanted anything to do with me because all these people are still sick and untreated. I'm just running around Mr. Helpful, Mr. AA, and Mr. Loving, and God with love and everything. And I loved it, but I didn't have to struggle for it. I had no God. And then I had lots of God. I mean, I had lots of God. It was people were just like, "Go away! You just got too nice too, too quickly." Um, so I didn't have to struggle with that the first time, you know. And, and it was good, and at the same time, it was bad for me because as they're trying to learn what it is to be an alcoholic the first time around, you know, the moderate drinker. They have little trouble giving up liquor entirely if they have good reason for it. They can take it or leave it alone. That's what I sort of thought I was. I knew that if I did the cocaine, stuff would go crazy. But then I was also thinking, oh, I might be a certain type of hard drinker. You know, those types that they might have a habit badly to gradually impair them physically or mentally. It may cause them to die a few years before his time. See, I really never got what it was to be an alcoholic because I didn't really need to. I had the white light experience. I'm connected to God, and I'm just praying. And um, it, was, it was amazing. 
problem is, in that type of situation, I wasn't given the, the, the tool set to hang on to it. You know, it's great. It's easy to get God. This program, we've got 12 steps that if you do them thoroughly and rapidly, you're going to get a spiritual experience that's going to give you God. Um, I didn't have to go through the steps. I just woke up one morning, connected, and I just sort of didn't bother doing the rest of the steps. They didn't push me to do the steps. Um, I did four and five, and then six and seven, they said I didn't ever do. Um, so my story and my struggle with the second step started 15 years later after I had a white light experience. You know, for 15 years, life was not good. The first year and a half when I had the, it was just amazing. I was connected to God, and I'm loving, I'm caring, I'm not cheating, I'm not stealing, I'm manipulating, I'm just this good little super little AA guy, you know. Um, and then, but I wasn't sponsoring people. I wasn't working any seventh or eighth or ninth steps. I wasn't doing a, a tenth or eleventh step review. I wasn't working with people other than just setting up rooms and making coffee and chairing a meeting occasionally. Um, so the next thirteen and a half years, my relationship with God went back to nothing. And I'm walking around, you know, thirteen years sober, wishing I was dead again not knowing what to do. I had done the, the, the rebirthing and the sweat lodges and all that stuff in the 80s and 90s, and I just I had given up on God. It's like this stuff was a bunch of crap. You know, I, I thought the whole God thing was just, yeah, that just didn't work for me. Little did that I know that as those 13 and a half years, I'm just putting stuff up that's blocking me from the power of God, and I'm just becoming resentful and bitter and going on sex sprees and spending sprees. You know, I, I, had, I had more problems in life sober than I did when I was using when I was 20s in my 20s. I was so mis- miserable. So we talked about my struggling, trying to figure out what it was an alcoholic when I first came back. But my problem was getting the God back into my life. Because when I first came back to my first AA meeting in 2004, I'm expecting to have this like white light experience and that, that didn't occur. And I'm just like, yeah, this, this God thing's a crock. It's, it's not going to work for me. Um, I thought I was going to be one of those people that were just going to be picking up white chips for the rest of their lives because I saw those people my first time around, you know. And I actually turned into one of those people for a while because I was going to the meetings. I'm hearing a lot of people talking about things I should be doing, you know, just go to a lot of meetings and keep really busy and stay AAA and and um, pray to God. But I just sort of, yeah, that guy, come on, seriously, the God thing. Um, people would say, are you praying in the morning? I'm going like, yeah, of course I am. Untreated alcoholic, what do we do? Lie. I wasn't praying in the morning. I wasn't doing any of that stuff. I just pretended, you know, the good, the good poker face in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, but I'm seeing little things of people getting happy, joyful, and free around me. And, and I, I wanted what they had. But the solution that I was being given, this middle-of-the-road AA of don't drink and go to meetings, you know, don't rush through the steps because you got, didn't get sick overnight, you can't get well overnight, you know, and just go to discussion meetings and drop your problems. And See, that wasn't working for me. But there's a lot of people around me that that was working for, and I'm just sort of confused. And it's like, this is not working. You know, first time I got sober, I didn't have to do anything, just magically got sober, and, and then... I started drinking again because AA didn't work, and now I'm back in AA, and guess what? It's probably not working for me again. This is really, really getting sick and sad. Um, luckily, I had a hissy fit at a meeting one night, stood up and uh, just said, I don't know what's wrong with me. You know, you're telling me don't drink between meetings. You're telling me I don't have to drink even I want to. You're telling me put the plug in the jug. You know, you're telling me you know, if you share about your problem, you won't drink. It's like, none of that stuff's working for me. You guys are staying sober. I keep going out and drinking. And they were just like deers in the head, like, what's he talking about, you know? 
And this guy just raised his hand and says, Mike Chase, I'm going to bring you through. I'll take you through the book. And at that moment, I just sort of said, not the book. God, not the book. I heard about the book. I remember seeing people with the book. I wasn't a book person. You know, I wanted to be the, the, the share at the meeting kind of guy, but I realized it wasn't working. And he started bringing me through the book. And for me to have a second step, I got to really have a good first step, you know? So we started on the page zero, and we talked about what Alcoholics Anonymous was originally. It originally started from a, a really heavy-duty Christian-based group of people called the Oxford Group, and they were all about Jesus. You know, you get Jesus in your life, drop on your knees, give your life to Jesus. And it was chasing a lot of us away, that extreme Jesusness, you know? And uh, luckily, in going through Bill's story, which is one of the times I was really actually able to start processing my, my, my religious and Christianity and all that stuff, you know, you're going through Bill's story, and the cool thing about Bill's story, he, he, he starts dealing with my issues of God and spirituality early on. You know, Ebby Thatcher showed up at his house, right? Bill, imagine Bill sitting there with his wife, Peter, you know, hasn't shaved for a few days. He's the original Sager. His pants are down because he's lost 80 pounds. This guy's got barely any meat on his bones, you know. And all of a sudden, Ebby knocks on the door, you know, dressed to the T's glowing, happy. You can see something in his eyes. And he says, Bill, I got a solution for you. And Bill's like, good, you don't have your bottle. Sit down and we'll talk about it. You know. So he started talking and he immediately drops the Christian bomb, the Jesus bomb. I'm a member of the Oxford group. You have to have, I'm here, I'm here with religion got me sober. And immediately Bill just shuts down. You know, Mind you, he's dying, right? This is the guy who's dying, who's been trying to get sober for years. And, this, and all of a sudden the solution walks in the door and he like puts up a wall. It wasn't even something that he intended to do. Just like me, my thinking that the God thing had, was, was a crock, Bill grew up thinking the God thing was a crock. He, he thought it was a great idea for other people, but for him it wasn't very good. And I want to just touch on a little bit of what Bill was going through on this, because this is, I love this stuff he's got in here. Every, a lot of people think we start dealing with the God thing and we agnostics. You've got a problem with God. You've got a problem with spirituality and stuff. Well, don't worry. We've got this chapter called We Agnostics for it. It's like, well, I, I, I beg to differ. I think we start dealing with the God thing on page zero. We're bringing up God's spirituality from day one. And I didn't ever get that ever in a discussion meeting. I didn't get that in a 12 and 12 meeting. I didn't get that, you know, in, in a speaker meeting. So go home and read the book after this. Um, <laughs> seriously, go home and read the book after this. Um, I wasn't getting it. wasn't until I got in the book, because the book was you know, this divinely inspired way to like give you a little bit of information and add more and add more until we get to how it works. It's like, damn right I'm going to do how it works. I'm an alcoholic, and I'm hopeless, and I got hope that God's going to be. But Bill, I just want to get to this Bill part. Ebby's in there talking to him, right? And he's, you know, Bill's just like, here's a wah, 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 wah. Bill, you know, Ebby's there with this wonderful idea of what's going on, these spiritual games, and Bill's not really hearing anything. He's just going, oh, here's this guy talking. So I got the first, on page 10, I got some things broken up. The first part he talks about is old ideas and beliefs, you know? For me, everything that I grew up with from my parents who put into my, from the church people put into me, didn't make sense. So I just sort of took all that old information and threw it aside. You know, it wasn't working for me as a, 40-some-year-old person, you know? It just it, it didn't seem to cause... But watching and reading Bill talk about it, you know, my grandfather's good nature, contempt of some church folk, 
my grandfather was a, was this amazing six foot two, honest, hardworking guy, and he played golf with the ministers, the Lutheran ministers, and he didn't have great things to say about ministers, you know. So I'm growing up, and I'm hearing my grandfather talking about you know these ministers being sort of like full of it, you know. They're they're at the church, they're preaching at church, but then we got them cussing and drinking and you know gambling on the on the golf course. <laughs> Which you'd think you'd sort of make you want to like priests because they turned out to be cool dudes. But he's teaching me that these guys just don't really have no right to tell you what to do. Completely just going after the same way that Bill's story talks about. You know, The stuff that I'm learning about that I'm trying to put into practice wasn't there. Um, the confusion. You know, you, you, I, I would look at, at life. And I'd be amazed, you know. I, I could look up and see the stars, and I could, you know, put on some cool videos and watch Cell Division. I could put on some, um, some scientific America movie, and just be overwhelmed with this amazing thing that God is, and what life is, and not being able to put two and two together, you know. I like to talk about uh, the ability to take uh, like a room full of scientists and a room full of spiritual people and put them at the IMAX, you know, and put this really cool stuff up on the. <coughs> on the screens, you know, all this beautiful stuff, amazing stuff. And you'd have the scientists just looking up there going, oh, yeah, quantum physics, string theory, you know, those are facts of scientific mathematical equations. And at the same time, we've got all these spiritual guys over here going like, oh, yeah, God, I love it. It's magic. It's Jesus juice. It's beautiful and all this stuff, you know. And the fact of the matter is they're both sort of looking at the same stuff just looking at it differently. And this is what I, I picked up from here, you know, the part greater than ourself. I often pondered these things. I was not an atheist. I certainly wasn't atheist, you know, because I knew there was a God out there, but I didn't know what it was, what its purpose was. For years, God was sort of like my cosmic bellhop, and he sucks, so I fired him. You know, he was my Santa Claus, but he never gave me anything, so I didn't ever ask him for anything. My whole conception of what God was going to be was totally screwed up. You know, little rich boy growing up and God's not giving me the stuff that everybody else had. I was really upset about that. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out, in a way, I'm alcoholic, but i got to get this God thing going in, into my life again. And immediately I think, oh, God, i got to go do those sweat lodges again, which suck. They're hot and they're smelling. You really come out feeling weird. Um, rebirthing, you know, it's like, oh, we did that in the 80s. And all this spiritual weird stuff that I experienced in the 80s, I'm thinking, that's what I'm going to have to do again. It's going to be fun. It's just going to suck. I don't really want to do that stuff. Um, so I could so relate to Bill. Old ideas and beliefs. Here I am dying, right? It's already been, you know, I'm, I'm out of the psych ward. I'm going to, the, going to the meeting weekly. I get about two days sober, relapse, get a week maybe, pick up a couple 30-day chips. Nobody's smelled me so I can get away with this shit, you know, living this complete lie. Um, yet I'm supposed to be praying. Um, it's not like I didn't want to get, I did, it's not like I wanted to get drunk. It's not like I wanted to possibly lose my job. Just the stuff that they were teaching me in Alcoholics Anonymous at the time wasn't working for me. You know, it was working for other people, but for me it wasn't getting there. So this guy's bringing me through the book, and I'm sort of dealing with the God thing and, and Bill's story. I can relate to Bill, and I can relate to Bill looking at this guy going like, Enough of the God stuff. Is there something else I can do to make this thing work other than the God thing? And, and Abby basically you know, told, kept telling him there's nothing you can do about it. Um, Bill's story, he's, Abby's over at Bill's house, right? They're talking two or three hours into this conversation. Abby's just <laughs> frustrated. He's trying to get Bill to just open up and crack open. And Bill's just like a wall. No, no, no. So basically, he just gets completely frustrated. And, and I, I look at it this way. He just looks at Bill and says, well, F it. Why don't you just choose your own conception of God? Because he's over it. And, Bill, you need something. You're going to die, you know? And my, when I'm writing that, it's just, it just cracked me open. It's like, 
I don't have to have that old relationship that I had before in the 80s, which was really weird and cosmic and goofy. I don't have to have the relationship that my parents had with God, you know, being church members, you know, putting binoc- you know, drinking a little bit. My, my family was only big on social drinking, you know, having a little binoc and go to church and pretend they didn't drink, which is where I learned how to handle that. Um, I didn't have to have other people's conceptions or relationships with God. It was something I was going to be able to develop on my own. So that allowed me to be open to the fact that Okay, I'm going to give this a little try. As a matter of fact, it allowed me to continue sitting down and reading the book with this guy, you know. Um, and we have this whole whole chapter that comes after Bill's story. It's called There's a Solution. The whole purpose of that is we've just been introduced that God's going to have to be the only solution for us. We heard about that in the foreword. We learned about that in the doctor's opinion. And Bill just slammed it down. You're going to have to get God in your life, you know. And I'm, I'm just thinking this is, there's got to be some other way. Why, why, why is it that we've got to do the God thing, you know. It's not, like, it's not like AA's got some secret plan to sneak us all back into church, you know. It's some secret way to get us back into Christianity. It's that they, they stumbled upon it, you know. Just like me, I was trying to try to control myself with good therapy and nutritional skills and keeping busy and going to meetings. It wasn't working. I just wasn't going to work. So something about the fact that when I would wake up after a run, look at myself in the window or in the mirror again and just go, you're going to drink and there's nothing you can do about it. You may as well just get used to it. Just don't get caught. You know, if I can go to some meetings here and there and nobody smells me, if I can go to the office and the boss doesn't smell me, I'm going to be fine with this whole thing. And I didn't completely grasp the whole concept of working the steps because, remember, I had 15 years of recovery and I had never had steps. I had the white light experience. It's like, why should I have to do steps? You don't really need it, I thought. God is really sneaky for me. He starts putting some people in my life that are slowly talking about how God had changed their lives, what their lives were before, you know, just little conversations, not in your face. This is what you need to get in order to get sober. You've got to give your life to Jesus and get on with your life type stuff. You have to go be a, a Muslim. You have to be a, a, a Buddha and stuff like that. Just how experiencely their life has changed since they've had new ideas put into their lives, you know. I love to keep saying, you know, as a lying, cheating, stealing, low-life, self-centered, inconsiderate, self-serving, backstabbing type kind of guy. That's not very Godish. You know, there's not much God in that behavior. As a matter of fact, that's pretty much anti-God. And I didn't want to go to the other side where I was like this, this cherub because I was like that early on in the 80s. And I didn't like that much either. I wanted to find this cool balance of where I could just be happy, joyful, and free. Um, the thing that I didn't have for the 15 years that I was sober was a real purpose and a reason to live. I, I, I got sober and, and Hazleton, and there was a lot of rich people, much more richer than me in that place, and they just had all these financial gifts in their lives, and, and they were saying things, well, Mike Chase, you, were, you denied yourself so many good things all those years you were using. And it's like, now's the time to grasp the brass ring and get good clothing, get a good job, get that education, get a really good car. So my whole conception of getting sober was don't pick up, don't get high, and then just go out and enjoy everything that you didn't enjoy, but do it sober this time. You know, for a lot of years, I, I had a, a pretty fun-filled life. You know, I was, 
I was learning how to scuba dive, which is great, but then the bills come and I feel sort of bad. I get a car, which felt really great, and then I had to start making payments and that felt really bad. And I'm going to meetings and it's sort of fun, but then I'm going to the clubs trying to get laid and that feels really bad. I'm, I'm going to these, rebir- these rebirthing and Louise Hayes seminars and they're sort of fun, but it's really sort of hokey. I don't want this stuff, you know. So as I'm trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do this time around, because it's coming quite evident that, my, that I'm a real addict alcoholic. I'm the guy that cannot not pick up. I'm the guy who cannot not choose whether I'm going to get high or not or get drunk or not. It was just, just going to happen. So he started just reading the book with me. And um, I didn't have a white light experience this time, which is so cool. I've had lots of little... Um, uh, spiritual awakenings, I like to call it. Like the white light experience, I like to say, sounded like, oh shit, what just happened? You know, it's just this amazing thing that just changed my life. And I had these little spiritual experiences which sound like, oh yeah, oh, really? And I, if you guys don't mind, I want to share a couple of those that I have up in the front here, these things that just sort of got me shifting to maybe this God thing is going to work, you know? Yeah, but I didn't believe it at times, you know? Um, he who looks inside awakes, you know. I was always looking on the outside to try and change my life. And it was, this was something that Carl Jung said. You know, I had to go in, into my life to have a spiritual experience. I had to change who I was. Um, pink cloud. Pink cloud is God's grace. Pink cloud is what we're shooting for. Somebody told me that. It's like, because I had some pink, I thought I had the pink cloud for a couple of years, you know. And like, oh, poor guy, wait until that thing burns or blows away. It was brought to my attention that the pink cloud is what we're actually sort of striving for. I want to be happy, joyous, and free every day of my life. And I thought that would be sort of a cool way, because I didn't want to have it and just go back to where I was. I didn't want to get that other 15 years that I had, you know. Um, Our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and to people about us. I started getting really excited about having a purpose in my life. I started getting really excited about having a a reason to wake up in the morning. I've been employee of the month. As a matter of fact, I was employee of the year, you know, and that was like, woohoo, big deal. Um, I had a kick-ass credit rating, you know, that was great, and who cares, you know. Um, I, had a real, I have a really nice house, and these things are really cool, but it really wasn't, wasn't doing anything for me. The, 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 the enjoyment and purpose was fleeting. It was like, yeah, that's sort of cool, that's nice, you know. There was something bigger out there that I was supposed to be doing, I just didn't know how to get it, you know. Um, I didn't stop relapsing until I actually dropped to my knees and asked God to help keep me sober continuously. I've been doing that every day for a little over seven years now. I always thought that was so hokey. That's a bunch of, oh, come on, that's just weird. And when I finally started doing it, I, I was staying sober. And mind you, I'm also in the book with the sponsors actually paying attention to me, spending time with me. You know, it talks about intensive work with other alcoholics. This guy, this guy wasn't giving me assignments. He was like, let's get together and hang out and read the book together. Let's, let's do this together. And, 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 and he's, he's got a baby on the way, and his wife is like completely and just crazy, but he's still taking time out of the day to come and spend time with me. And that was like the coolest thing I've ever seen. Because you know? I hear about these other guys you know, getting little assignments and going home and writing their stuff and stuff like that. And he's like, we don't do that stuff. I'm just going to spend time with you, you know. And, and this is the kind of stuff that just sort of started bringing me to this, like, maybe. Maybe it's going to be different this time, you know. And, and ironically, I'm, I'm not getting drunk. And I'm not planning to get drunk. You know, I'm not, I, I would not drink, but I think I'd get drunk next week. But somehow that just sort of like, I don't remember exactly how it happened. 
but I've got this relationship building with this guy. We're, we're having conversations. We're reading the book together. And the magic of the book is that it took me, well, it took me probably 58 pages of reading what the book offered to get me in a position where I could like really come to believe that a part greater than myself could restore me to sanity. I used to think the insanity stuff that we're always talking about was like getting drunk and ending up in bed with that one or getting drunk and doing that or you know, not being able to pay my bills and stuff like that. You know, the insanity that, 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 that they're talking about is from a stone cold brain just out of detox, seven days detox, really good detox. You can't script detox unless you sneak stuff in. Um, but I, I'm coming out of stone cold out of detox, right? And I go to my first AA meeting. And I go, let's be little lovers and it's hugs and my magic white chip. I'm not going to get drunk ever again, you know. Woohoo! And uh, I'm, I'm on the phone with Mr. Get High, you know. That's plain insanity where I just come from. The boss had just told me you get your shit together or you're fired. Good job. Easy job I've been doing since 1987, you know. And he put up with me for a lot of years. That's insanity for me to pick up and stuff like that. And, and therapy hadn't worked for me. I was going to IOP, intensive outpatient, in case anybody knows what that is. Um, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, and this gal was amazing. The, this, this, the gal in charge of this IOP, she was top notch. And she did not once in the eight and a half months I was in there mention the word God. It's... it's um, well, it was a lot of sh- shaming us. She was like, why don't you get a sponsor? You need to get a sponsor. Why don't you go into meetings? You need to get a meeting. And blood, I'm going to test you next week if you don't get any of that. It was sort of weird, actually. Um, and and, and the, the meetings are sort of, I'm going to the meetings, but I can't get to the really good meetings because I'm doing the IHA, IOP stuff. And um, I'm still in this AA jail, you know. And I, I, haven't, I haven't met this sponsor dude yet, you know. And, we're, and she's asking us, you know, what did you do this week? What are your goals? And all this, yeah, stuff. <laughs> Telling me to go write a letter. Go write a letter to your addiction, okay? And then write, write a letter to each of your drugs and each of your drinks. And I'm doing all this stuff. And, you know, hurricane blew through, right? Boom, hurricane. No, no IOP for five days. Guess what? Three days you can go and you don't get... So I figure, oh, I'll get high on Monday, Tuesday, and stop on Tuesday. And by Friday, I'll piss clean if they call on me. And I was like, so this is just crock. And, I'm, and I want to stop. I really, I'm, I'm over this lifestyle. You know, it's, I want to die, but I don't want to die. I want to quit, but I can't. I'm talking to this gal. Like, this is a, a, a doctor with letters and stuff like that. And he said, it's so weird, you know. I, I want to not drink and drug anymore. But there's a side of me that says, yeah, go out and get drunk and get high and do all that fun stuff. And she looks at me point blank and says, sounds like you have multiple personalities, and writes that down. It's like, you smoke a crack in that place, right? It's like, that, isn't that what it's like for us? I'm not going to get high, I'm not going to get high, I'm not going to get Hey, thank you, that's very good. Thank you very much. And this, this, this whole thing, and I'm, I'm still getting this, like, haven't even gotten real AA yet. You know, the meetings I'm going to are really good. You know, share how your day's going. What's, what's your problem? Who's got a problem? That kind of stuff. Um, I'm dying. I'm dying in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous because I'm being treated for heavy hard drinking, problem drinking, or even a little drug habit in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And then they've got me in this hospital setting for IOP where they're treating me for what I don't have the faintest idea. And I'm wondering... <laughs> and I also get out of... Okay, this is the, this is the, the, the great one. I get out of the, psych, out of the mental hospital detox where you call those things, and he assigned me this, this weird psychotic medicine because I was, like, psychotic. And, and, I, and I'm... 
I finally get sober and I see this ad on the newspaper and the television about this stuff this guy gave me, which I had to stop after a while, and it's side effects, inability to make rational decisions, <laughs> increased dependence on drugs and alcohols, and I'm going like, God, this is, these people are out to kill me. I'm coming to, the, coming to the rooms to get sober and I'm not really getting treated for AA. I'm in this mental institution that's not really knowing what they're doing to deal with alcoholics. You think I'm this. And um, I'm supposed to get sober. How's this going to happen? What's going to happen? So, so the God thing is starting to... I'm getting, so I'm finally working with the guy in the book. You know, we're talking God a little bit. Spirituality's coming out. Um, I hear this guy at a, at, a, at a talk say something like, um, if you left your church as a child because you thought it was full of bull, why don't you go back as an adult and, and give it a try? You know, see what it's like. I, I don't remember when that happened, but it, it, it's one of those things that, that really took my life to a different level. You know, I went back to that church that I thought was full of boo. You know, after after a few years of sobriety, and I and I and I went to the church and and I liked the church, and then then I heard some things that I didn't like about the church. So then I went into this website where they ask you everything you think about God and stuff like that. It's beliefnet.com, and they give you a list of churches you should go to according to what you believe. I'm supposed to be a Quaker and a <laughs> Quaker and a, and a Universalist and a and a and a con- and just so I went and checked these other churches out, which is like church shopping, which is like they they they, they weren't at all me. Quakers just sit there and talk very little. Um, which is great because I love the people there. It wasn't who I was. So I ended up actually going back to that church I wasn't too happy about. So as you can tell, I probably had a spiritual experience along the way. Um, I'm praying in the morning. I'm working the book with this guy. He's taking me to good meetings. I'm, I'm getting introduced you know, to, to meetings where we talk about the big book. I'm getting immense, immersed of what it's like to be, to be in big book recovery. Um, I cannot say for sure when I came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore us to sanity, you know. I remember reading We Agnostics, and that was so cool. And I'm already, you know, doing the prayer thing. He's taught me how to do some meditation. And this is 35 days into this thing with this guy, you know, 35-ish, and... Um, we're talking a lot about what it, what it means to have a relationship with God. He introduced me to these things called the four absolutes. The four absolutes are basically leftovers from the Oxford group that uh, the New Yorkers apparently didn't like because it was like too, trying to be too good. So they just sort of wrote those out of AA. Um, and they're basically guides to be a better person. And I could, I could relate to that, you know? And he also taught me some words that I didn't understand. Because I always thought I was a sinner, you know, which means sin, you're burning hell. That's God wrote sin, bad, die, burn in hell, you know. He taught me that sin actually comes from some Greek word that's sort of like off the mark or something like that. And he explained to me that, you know, if, if you take your life and take the four absolutes, which is absolute love, absolute purity, absolute unselfishness, and absolute honesty, and make those a sort of like the point that you want to shoot for in life. You know, those, that's what I want to be when I wake up with God's help. Shoot for that kind of stuff. My life will start to get better. And he knew that, you know, I was going to get a little to the right and a little to the left sometimes. And he said, that's fine, you know. We're all human. We, we, and he starts going through the book. This guy's cool. He bounced around the book. We're not even in parts of the book. And he's got me reading stuff and pointing out stuff in the book. And my relationship is just, just slowly getting better. I, I'm, I'm going to meetings, and he's got me reaching out and talking to people. 
you know, sitting down next to a newcomer. I'm not even into how it works yet, right? He's got me going and introducing myself to people and trying to make their day a little bit better. Mind you, I'm in, I'm in this manager. It's okay, get, get a load of this. I get sent away from my job because I'm psychotic and seeing things in the computer screen and trying to see everybody else to show them, and it's like total psychotic breakdown. So they sent me away. I was supposed to give me 30 days off. I'm, I'm, I'm still two weeks into this month off, and he brings me back to the office, and he decides to promote me to the manager. You know, just been sent away a week later. So I'm trying to get sober, right? Trying to get my life better with God, but I'm supposed to be managing people at the same time, which means I'm supposed to be telling people what to do and how to live their lives in the office. And, they, and I go to AA, and they're telling me you're not supposed to tell people what to do and how to live their lives. And I'm having this complete breakdown every day on what to do with life, you know. And he's just telling me, just, you know, just, just pray. Get connected to God, you know. This, and I'm just, well, how do I do that, you know? So he's actually spending some time with me, teaching me how to meditate in an easy way. I always thought you had to sort of like hum and make weird noises and stuff like that. And he just made it real easy for me, you know, just breathe and concentrate, keep it easy. Um, in my way of, he brought me into this is my relationship that I have with God is very casual. Like God's my bud. We talk, bud talk to God. I hope that doesn't offend anybody, but... He's magnificent, he's wonderful, he's all-powerful and stuff like that, but he's also my dude. He's my, you know, I, I talk to this guy in prayer, how's my day going, you know? I used, I, I used to look at my life like I had this relationship with God who was like this, this golden retriever. You know, I took him everywhere, we were just growing up. And, and then I got busy, so instead of taking the dog with me, I just left him out in the backyard, you know? And went on with my life. And I come home and there's that Doberman or that golden retriever looking in the window saying, come and play with me, let's go play. You know, and that was my conception of what God was like, you know? The programs allowed me to just sort of like open the door and bring God with me wherever I want to go, you know. So I got God in the office with me. I'm talking, dude, this guy's driving me crazy. What am I supposed to do? And they're looking at me like he's talking to himself again, you know. He's going crazy again. Look out, you know. And it's getting me through the rough spots. I don't even know I'm developing this relationship with God, and I'm slowly developing a relationship with God. So what does it, hap- what does it mean to me to have a relationship with God? What, what, what happened? Well, first of all, it let me continue on with the program because I, got, I, I was actually feeling what this is about. You know, there's, there's this unwritten rule somewhere that says you can't sponsor if you don't got a year. <laughs> you know, you got to have a year to sponsor, you know. I would be so dead right now because if he did not get me talking and working with people, mind you, I wasn't sponsoring people earlier on, but he was already telling me, he said, you know, 35 days, we're going to have you reading the book with other guys. I'm like, wow, that's, that's cool, you know, because I, 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 I couldn't sit on the bench and just watch everybody else doing everything, you know. So we're working this program. He's promising these things that I'm going to do, this, this life of opportunity instead of this life of disaster. See, I came into AA thinking it's AA jail again. 15 years of meeting makers make it. 15 years don't drink. You know, it's like I stole today, cheated on my relationship today, but I didn't drink, and it's a <laughs> successful day. You know, that's, 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 what, I, that's what I was... I didn't want that anymore. My boss, who had been in the program, he, he was in a relationship that was a total drug addict alcoholic, and then he got convinced that he was one too, but he's actually just one of those problem-heavy drinkers. But he was in AA for five years. Um, he stopped going, and he's perfectly normal today. He'll have a martini once in a while, you know, and he's, he's just misdiagnosed. And uh, so I'm getting into rehab, or I've got a rehab, and he's telling me, and he's like, don't make a big deal. You know, every once in a while you pick up a white chip, it's okay, you'll be fine, it's all right, you know. And I'm thinking, 
cool. That's sort of cool. How often is that going to happen to a fireman, you know? And it started to happen. Remember, before the God thing started working, I mean, that's what was going on in my life. I was doing that occasionally, get a few days in sober and then pick up a white chip, and, and it sucked. If anybody here is like a, 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 what do you call them, chronically untreated people, you know, just keep picking up white chips and stuff like that. If you're like, it's like, I was ready to kill myself again. You know, this is not going to work for me. So I'm so glad this guy came into me and spent the time, you know, sit down and read the book with me. Um, hang out with some people that were recovered. You know, it's like I was hanging out with some people before that were like, this is really great. We're going out to the casino tonight. Or I just picked up this really good hooker the other night. And I'm going like, this is, this is weird. This isn't what I expected you know, a relationship with God to be like. So he started having me hanging out with some other people, some other like-minded people, some, some other people in the book that were working with people. We weren't running around shoving God down everybody's throat. You know, everybody's got their own concept, their own relationship. They, they build it up over time. Um, my relationship with God is cool. Matter of fact, when I first, my first relationship with God, I just like to throw this out there so you guys know I'm crazy, but... Uh, <laughs> Think that what you have isn't bad. My first, my first conception of God. Remember, it's like I had this white light experience. Oh, love and you know. And they said I had to write down what I believed God was, or a picture of God, or something like that. I'm just like trying to come up with this thing because I hated that mean guy up in heaven with his finger, you know, the cool hair. Um, and I didn't like the little fat guy, and um, I didn't know what to come with. So I and. I came up with this conception. Do you guys know who Glenda the Good Witch is? Uh, right? She is so loving, you know? And she, she, she just comes when, when the shit hits the fan and you know, Dorothy's going to get her ass zapped. She floats in out of nowhere and says hi and scares all the meanies away, you know? But she's loving. But she also put people into to Dorothy's life to help her get on with her journey. And I, and I could so relate to that because God was starting to put people like that. She's too nice, you know. That, that, yeah, so I, I decided to throw Dolly Parton in there with her. You know, so I got Dolly Parton and Glenda the Goodwitch flying around in this bubble. It's sort of this conception I had of God for my first few years of recovery, and it was and it works. And today, yeah, every once in a while I think of Dolly and Glenda. You know, up there watching over me and stuff like that. But then again, there's so much more. Other days, I get really, really, you know, spiritual, and it's like, it's, it's, it's like, I just keep it simple. You know, I don't want, I don't want to like sweat my sweat lodge my life out of God again. I don't want to, you know, keep doing those rebirthing courses. And um, I found that in order to keep my relationship with God, I have to reach out and help other people. My life is a life of service this day, you know. If, if, um, if I haven't, God, I haven't in a long time. But if, I, if, if I'm not working with somebody, I get antsy, you know. Because there's a reason that God got me sober the second time. You know, the first time was just luck, you know. Um, I've been HIV positive since the early 1980s. I should have died. When I, was get, when I got infected, people had two, three months to live. You know, here I am. 34. I've, I've been HIV positive longer than I was not HIV positive. Mm-hmm. So I think God got a reason for me to be on the earth. And I know it's not to be a good salesman or to be a good neighbor, which I like to be a good salesman and a good neighbor. That's important. But there's something else. And through the program I found in the book of Alcoholics Anonymous and a sponsor that was like, awesome, I got a purpose. My purpose is to help other people who are dying. My purpose is to stand up in a room and say, listen, if what you're getting in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous today is not working for you, if you're chronically relapsing, why don't you try the program of Alcoholics Anonymous? You know, get a sponsor who's going to sit down with you, 
one-on-one, it says strenuous work, you know? We sit with our guys two or three hours per chapter. And, and, it's, and, it's, and it's, it's not just get to know the book. You know, it's like as we're talking and reading and sharing, the little cracks that we have, God starts to come in, you know. The relationship with God starts building. I always start our, our guys out, you know, the first night we get together, we have a little talk. This is what it's like. And next, we do the meditation. Turn down the lights and we do some meditation, usually for two minutes because they're just, they can't handle it, you know. And then I just, you know, push my chair and get down on my knees and pray and say, let's pray. And they're just, okay. Get down and they pray, you know, we just have this conversation with God. They're going to be able to pray tomorrow morning. They know how to pray on their knees. They can, it, it's something they can do. And, and it just builds. God has um, taken this really weird guy from, from death, the doors of death, who wanted to die a lot, who had no reason for living, to somebody who's just every day I wake up and I'm excited that I get to go out and do what I get to do. My job pays for this. You know, I got this great job. My, bob, my boss keeps referring to that, oh, that volunteer stuff he does. It's like, dude, he doesn't get it. It's the other way around. The job allows me to have a life like this. You know, and, I'm, and I'm lucky that God allows people to come into my life. I get invited to sponsor people a lot. Um, I got a sponsor that just has is, is, is changed my life. I started getting sort of like, sort of, and, and God put this whole new sponsor in my life that took my whole spirituality a whole nother step. Um, I got a lot of growing to do, you know. Every day I wake up, I start out with prayer and meditation. I call it a God buffet. Because um, I had the drive through McDonald's religion, you know. Wake up in the morning, oh, crap, I'm late. Drop some knees. God, help me, boom. If I'm lucky, do that. You know, a little meditation, that's good. Out the door. And the rest of my day sucks, you know. You can start your day over. It's like, I tried that. It doesn't. That sucks. I have a God buffet. I read some really cool spiritual stuff that gets emailed to me. You know, it's not, not in concrete, some different stuff. Um, I like to meditate from 5 to 12 minutes, you know, just start, no Channel 7 news, no sports in the morning, no television, just quiet, get centered, you know, have a little conversation with my God, meditate, get up, turn my will over to God. I have to do the third and seventh step prayer every day because I'm just sort of like, that's the way kind of guy I am. Um, And then I get out and I do what I need to do. And it usually involves, you know, spending some time at lunch with somebody in recovery, getting off work and spending some time with people in recovery. Um, it's an honor to be in this room and speak tonight and to share with you guys these next few weeks. I'd rather be at home sitting in my room, sitting with some new guy who's still shaking, reading the book with him, getting him to God. You know, that, that, that's where my heart is at. And uh, thank you for letting me speak tonight. It's an honor. Let's open this up for a little bit of conversation. Thanks. Woo!